Ladies and gentlemen, we are living in an unprecedented, unprecedented, unprecedented time where your individual liberties are being handed over in the name of a government safety net or for the common good. You're tired of being told what you're allowed to say, how to live your life, or how to raise your kids. And so are we. We are the Break the Bell Podcast, and we believe your voice is your most powerful weapon. Join us weekly as we invade your ear holes with all the insanity that's going on in the world and expose the corrupt system that is hell-bent on keeping the power from you. You can check out Break the Bell every Monday night, streaming live on YouTube, or listen wherever you can find podcasts. Check out Break the Bell, and most importantly, never stop talking. This episode will be completely taken out of context. Welcome to the Fact Check This Podcast. All right, Fact Check This Podcast, and tonight I am joined by Matt Billingsley of uh, Against the Mob Podcast. Matt, thanks for coming on with me. I just kind of threw out an idea that I wanted to review this article from the Washington Post uh, called Right-Wing Nationalists Are Marching Into the Future by Rewriting the Past, and uh, just threw it out there. Anybody want to jump on with me and, and look at this thing? And Matt was kind enough to say yes, so Matt, kind of introduce yourself and... Uh, Tell a little, tell us a little bit about you, and then we'll uh, we'll jump into it. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for having me on in such short notice. Um, this is I actually really like um, <laughs> this dynamic because I've talked to Justin maybe like three or four times over the last six months in these passing moments. Um, but uh, yeah, anyways, I'm one half of Against the Mall podcast. Um, my other half is um, he says it's his show. I think it's my show, but he's not here to defend himself. So. We're going to say it's my show that I invite him on. Anyways, um, we uh, that podcast is very much like an ANCAP libertarian freedom-minded um, podcast where we talk about philosophy and current events. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm just actually pumped. I was sitting here really not doing anything. And so it's like it's a good way to spend a Saturday night as far as I'm concerned. Heck yeah. And uh, I think this is kind of a a fun and interesting topic and like, like you and I were kind of talking about before we started recording, there is a lot of there is a lot of depth to this article, and it really captures a lot of stuff that has been going on over a course of a number of years, not just something that's particularly mm-hmm. recent. But there's also a lot of other context to it that, uh, if you think about the way world history and especially U.S. history and some of these some of the countries that are talked about and represented in this article. Uh, the way they have handled things historically, um, it's not necessarily uh, unexpected. I guess would be no, a, not at all. I think it's that. actually, yeah, it's actually par for the course. Um, and that's the, that's one thing that I think that in the context of this article, it's important to point out that this is not a new phenomenon. Whether you're looking at left wing or right right wing revisionism. History is always being whitewashed or blackwashed or however you want to look. I don't, I don't even know. Is that like, can you say whitewashed anymore? Can you say like, is that, is that PC? Is that, is that acceptable? <laughs> not that I give a shit, but, um, uh, but yeah, this is, this is not anything new. And it's really the culmination of a trend that's been going on in national politics and national and state legislators uh, across the globe of a shift towards this right, right wing revisionism because there's all of this um the, you know because the left is dominating the culture academia etc it gives the right the opportunity to push back in the public space and i mean i think that 
I, I don't know where you stand on it, but I think that both are as equally atrocious. I just think that we should be honest about it all. That was that was my initial reaction when I was looking at this was like, so I'm going to pull it up here and, and we can just kind of start in on it. Um, and like right at the very off the very top, they they talk about uh, Trump's 1776 commission to promote patriotic education and how that was just completely historically inaccurate, inaccurate which I'm not disagreeing with that. Like I, I looked into a lot of that stuff and it is, it, it, it is pretty, uh, while they do get some things right, it was pretty out there. Like it, it, it definitely had that. And you know what they're talking about in the article throughout, it had this really right wing nationalistic styling to it that was definitely not historically accurate. And they make this out to be a big deal, like literally first paragraph of this. But then at the same time, you had on the other side, the 1619 project and what a complete atrocity that has been you know, shown to be. So I, I do like it how, especially with the with the Washington Post, uh, I subscribe to the Washington Post because I got a subscription, a year subscription for like nine bucks. And I was like, OK, I I mean, surely that'll be worth the money just for the the comedic value alone. Uh, but you know, you get articles like this every once in a while that that they just seem really tone deaf. To they're really good at pointing out the things that the right does wrong, but they never look at any of the like perfect parallels of things that the left has done wrong. Literally within the last three or four years, they. they yeah, no, no, it's no, you're exactly right. They their tone deaf is a really good word. Um, because when you look at things like the 1776 commission or the 1619 project side by side, they're both equally atrocious in terms of like trying to portray American history. And I think that, that is like so a little bit of context. Um, I got my degree in 20th century conflict history. I've always been fascinated on kind of everything about warfare, but I never wanted to actually go get shot at or play the game for real. Um, so I'd like to study it from afar. And that's anywhere from like small group tactics to how actual battles are fought and how how platoons move to larger scale grand movements. And then also the diplomatic side, like why do countries break down and why when, why do we stop playing nice? And then how do we fight once it comes to that? Um, but in the context of all of that, it would just be nice to just have an honest conversation, right? And I think that when you come to this kind of middle of the road 1776 commission or the 1619 project, you can say like, hey, these men had some really cool ideas, right? The embodiment of individual rights, that government was not supposed to grant you rights, but was supposed to allegedly protect them. Um, that, these con that these rights were granted to you by your virtue of just being a human. However, so you can take things like that from the 1776 project or commission and be like, you know what? Those guys did some pretty cool things. And then you can also say, but you know what? They had slaves. They had some, you know, we had a, a long debate about what, quote unquote, man is, right? All men are created equal. Is that white men? Is it black men? Is it men that own property? Does it women do? Well, you know how we feel about those folk. And so there, there was room for this. I think there's room in our present day for the very moderate middle of the road conversation. I'm not a milk toast fence sitter like that type of moderate, um, but I do think that there is room for us to be like, you know what? These men are products of the time. Of course, they had slaves. 
I, if I was, you know, if I was Thomas Jefferson, I'd probably have slaves too. I'm not going to say that I would be better than that growing up in the culture that they were raised in. But you can also say, you know what, some of the things that weren't cool, um, and we should just have the honest conversation about it. I don't think that there's any need to skew the conversation one way or the other. Agreed. And that's so that's something that as we kind of continue on along with this article, it talks about um, how in Virginia, Glenn Youngkin got <laughs> got elected on the promise to purge schools of divisive attempts to examine the legacies of racial injustice and white supremacy in the US, in U.S. history. Uh, I don't know how much time you've spent looking into uh, critical race theory and some of that. This is a extremely uh, nice portrayal of CRT as far as I can tell from, from what I've looked into and found of it. Like, and, and that is what Glenn Youngkin effectively ran on and got himself elected on was that he was going, he was not going to allow CRT to be a mandated curriculum in schools. So, and, and that wasn't the only thing. I mean, there was a lot of stuff that uh, Northam had done that was just absolutely terrible. Like mm -hmm. this, this isn't a, there, there were single issue voters. Yes. But this was not a single issue thing. And, and it also was kind of uh, the Yunkin election is also kind of telling of a shift in Virginia. That's sort of happening right now, uh, which is kind of red pilling, especially as for anybody who like I've spent, quite a bit of time in Virginia uh, for work and stuff in uh, a previous career. And like, it's a really great place. Uh, the big cities of Virginia really overrun everything else based on, you know, uh, election, the way elections and, and stuff like that go. And those big cities are spread out enough that they end up creating a, uh, a legislative nightmare in that they have enough space between them that, the district, the way the districts and the regions of the state are drawn, you you end up with a lot of uh, lawmakers who don't necessarily represent the vast majority of the state. They represent that very uh, condensed voter block in those big cities. So it's like this is this may be a a shift of Virginia kind of coming out of that and starting to move a little more in the direction of what most of Virginia seems to, to value, uh, who knows? Well, I mean, that'll be, you know, that that's this year and in 2024, we'll, that we'll kind of tell the, tell the tale of that. But like the Yunkin thing was just, uh, it wasn't a, a single issue thing on, on white supremacy. Like it wasn't the white supremacists taking over Virginia and doing away with teaching the ills of slavery. Like there was a pushback against CRT and the way CRT is written and kind of being taught. And like, I don't have any problem. Uh, I mean, my family were slave owners in the South and um, I had my family fought for the Confederacy. Like I'm pretty well versed in US history from, uh, like we had talked about previously from uh, post-Civil War up to the Civil War. Uh, was kind of my focus on U.S. history when I was when I was in in history major. Uh, a lot of the things that you kind of saw in that time, like there are things that need to be talked about, but the way that the 1619 Project and the way the CRT approached those topics and handled them are 
like the worst possible way that you could do it. <laughs> so like that's what's being pushed back against, really. Yeah, and I mean, that's a very fair. I, I like what you said about um, just all of it. Right? I think you made some really great points. And and back to this whole CRT, and I because I have a lot of friends that I I'm an avid opponent of CRT. And a lot of people are like, well, you should be sensitive to the fact like of slaves. And I was like, yeah, you, you think I like I'm aware of my skin color. Thank you very much for reminding me. Um, with all of that being said, I think that I what I what I despise about CRT and why I can understand people coming out to the ballot box to push back against it. I'm not a big believer in the original sin of whiteness. You know, it's like just because you were born a white person does not mean that you are guilty of these, um, you know, hundreds of years of atrocities perpetrated by a few people, right? And that's one of the things that we always spew on our podcast. You're not opposed to white men. You're not opposed to um, X group. You're opposed to the people in charge, right? And it just so happens that for the majority of American history and Western history, these have just been white men. However, that does not mean that all white men wake up and want to of uh, you know stick the boot on your neck I, um something that's weird that we've seen is i think a lot of people would like to if you gave them the opportunity something that we've seen with like this over the lockdowns right the empowerment of the unspoken for right all of these anonymous nobodies that you know the npcs in the background for the last couple you know they came out and they they realized that they can be pawns and if anybody plays chess like pawns can be deadly and they can be dangerous and the npcs have shifted from sheep to pawns and and I don't like that but at the same time you can you can point to CRT and things that are happening in Virginia and say that's a reasonable response because somebody your average voter in uh Virginia and I don't know the demographics off the top of my head I'm just going to guess right especially if you start going into the rural districts they're probably making what 40 50 60,000 dollars a year probably have a couple of kids right they really would like to just like have the quote unquote american dream and be left alone and when you when they are now confronted with this idea that's like you were evil because of because of your whiteness they're like well fuck man i'm struggling too i didn't do anything to anybody so miss me with this miss me with this crap and i mean what i see where you scroll down to and i think that what's being proposed in Texas goes the complete opposite because you shouldn't not talk about slavery. I think that's a huge part of American history. So you shouldn't be like, well, no, no, no. Since CRT is out there, we're going to go the complete opposite. And we're not even going to talk about slavery. So, well, we should probably talk about why there's a huge population of black people in this country. How'd they get, you know, how'd they get here? Right. And I always hate bringing it up because it, <laughs> I kind of feel I kind of feel dirty about it. But like the thing that always gets ignored with that part of history is that it wasn't a bunch of white people who were running through the African jungles wrangling up black people to bring them over. No. Uh, it was not. <laughs> like it it feels like we should have an honest conversation about what the slave trade was from its like from its very inception of where they came from to how they ended up here to how they were treated once they were here because a lot of it while there are a lot of stories out there that are historically and you know very very much factually accurate about the mistreatment of slaves a lot of uh, i think a lot of 
slave culture belief in the country is based off of like roots and and stuff mm. like that. Whereas for an overwhelming majority, and you saw this with with the founding fathers themselves, and those people were personal property, and so like like I have a lot of tools. I take care of my tools. I treat them properly. I, you know, I clean them. I, I put <laughs> them up. Like I'm not going to mistreat and abuse my tools. And as, as like as dehumanizing as horrible as it is to say it in that way, that's what the slaves were. And so there is a lot of misconception about what that was, and also the fact that the literally the largest slave owner in American history was a black man who was previously a slave was released and then got a piece of property and started buying slaves himself. And he's like, Hey, this is actually pretty lucrative business. I'm right. And by all accounts was uh, completely brutal. Like, yeah, that, that self-hatred and that, that, you know, it's like, it's, it's whatever on whatever crime is always far greater than, you know, it's like black on black crime is far greater than black on white crime or white on black crime and white on white crime is far greater than Asian crime on white. You know, it's just like, we hate, we hate ourselves (laughs) deeply. And with something that I do want to expand on, because I think that it's really important when we're having these conversations of whitewashing history or skewing it to the left or the right it's it's important like context matters right and i love what dan carlin says he's like i'm a slave to context because contact context really matters back to what you're saying so if you're a dutch person who shows up on the shores of africa and you're just like hey we need to come to land maybe we can get some food these these dark-skinned people come trotting out of the jungle and i don't know how you communicate with them but uh He's like, essentially, you come to the understanding. It's like, hey, you want to buy some of us? If you're a Dutch man, right? If you have, you have to understand like the, phys- the physique of your average Dutch man in the 1600s, they're not big. But if you go to the coast of Africa, there's some very large men. And it's like, well, and, and if you're that Dutch man, what's your first reaction? Let me buy a couple of these people to take back to my university and educate them. And it's like, I bet that guy can work. I bet he can swing. I bet that guy can farm. I'll take 10. You know what? Actually, I'll take 20 and I'll be back here in a month. I don't think that it's, and I know that we're making kind of light of it because I think that you have to, you have to just be honest about it where it's like, you know what, what would you have done if you were the Dutchman who shows up? I mean, slavery is the, it's, it's in the culture. It's embedded. I mean, what is the most reasonable reaction that you're going to, start the revolution by freeing these people it's like or they're already in chains yeah i'll take 20 why not and then you know and you come it's like holy shit that was a great purchase and you go tell all your friends it's like dude there's this coast and there's all of these these black people and they're strong and they're cheap right you know and it's like let's go to africa and every all the boys are like we're going to africa and (laughs) See, it's interesting that you that you you said it that way because that's something that definitely doesn't get uh, looked at or thought about. Like most of these people were already enslaved. They, mm-hmm. they were they're not the the you know the slave traders, the African slave traders. They're not rounding up their family and friends. <laughs> like these are these are warring tribes that they have conquered, and these they are already enslaved. They're mm-hmm. just 
they're just selling their own property. Like it's it's like same trading thing. cards, basically. It is. And it's the same thing. And like the, the slave trade in North Africa is alive and well at this point. And it has been for over a thousand years. And that's the thing that it's like they didn't because there's that misconception that Europeans show up and they, they trick a bunch of black men onto a boat with bananas. And it's like, come on. It would, that is such an elementary understanding of history. And it's it's a terrible image, too. It's like you're telling me that, oh, these savages are so dumb. They got tricked onto a boat with bananas. It's like, come on, give them a little credit. You know, <laughs> they're surviving in the jungles in the sub-Saharan of Africa. They've, they've got a little bit of wit about them. But yeah, the slave trade is super alive and well. And I just think that, once again, it's when we're talking about history, let's just be honest about it. And that's kind of a theme of this article, I, I kind of thought, because it, it is good that we're talking about that and looking at it in the context of it, because like what we're coming up to in, in this portion of it is uh, where it talks about Pope Francis and, and trying to get the, uh, what was it, the, the Spanish leaders to mm-hmm. like, apologize for some of the uh, actions that they took in, you know, four or five, six hundred years ago. Like that's that's a big thing that uh, that always kind of pisses me off whenever it comes around to Columbus Day and they talk about all the like the atrocities of Columbus. Not that not that he didn't do some pretty fucked up shit, but he was doing his job at the time based on what he was contracted to do, and like like that's that those were the times. That's not like nothing that he did at that time was out of the ordinary so like you can't go back and start to prescribe all of this like ill will and intention to something that was just part of i mean it was that was colonialism and and empire building at that point in history like what spain was doing what france was doing what england was doing that was what they had to do to compete with each other and to keep up and honestly if they hadn't been doing all of that do we have what we have today as a you know as a global community, I, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, Not, I don't know either. I, don't, I mean that now we're into like the the million different whataboutisms of like alternative history. But I, you nailed something. Um, what I think one of the greatest sins that we commit as modern day people is we apply our modern standards and of morality to the past. The past is not the past. Like the past is not the present. There's no way that you can go to Columbus and it's like you could, you can try. You could talk to him till you're blue. If you could have a time machine, he'd be like, I don't know, man. We're about to make a like. There's gold. There's people. We have steel. We have guns and steel and horses. They have bows and arrows. You know, it's like this is prime for the taking. We're gonna take this because at that time, like. What are human rights? You're living in the you're living in the divine era of kings. You know the kings are ordained by God to rule it, and it, it's it's God's chosen will that you should be subjugated. And it's just it is it is our greatest um, issue as a as a modern society when we look back at history. It's like these are different times. You can look back and say, yeah, it's really fucked up that you did that, Columbus, and that wouldn't fly today. However. It flew in 1492. It flew in 1506. It flew in 1620. You know, it, it it's it's been flying for a long time. And and like the thing that we also ignore is the like the context of the world at that time. Like these are 
at the time, these are expanding, growing empires. These are expanding, growing populous centers of these different countries. And and also, while these things are growing and expanding, they're also using up resources. They're also like depleting themselves. They they don't have a choice but to go out and start looking for that stuff because you know at this point you've had you've had England, Spain, Portugal, uh, France. Like they've been at war with each other basically perpetually for like 200 years, like <laughs> if they, not more, <laughs> if not more. Right. So like they can't continue to do this forever and just kill each other and deplete their own resources. Like they have to go out and find other parts of the world to, to, for lack of a better word, take over and to, you know, expand into because they can't keep doing it. And so, you know, it's, it, and it creates, like I said before, you know, it creates what we are today to some extent because, you know, uh, if if they just continue to fight and kill each other and don't ever go anywhere, then what happens? Like, I, I don't see how there's a, a positive to that. Maybe. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess all of the indigenous people of North and South America would be like, I don't know. Maybe they, maybe we'd still be here if they would have stayed home. But <laughs> the fact of the matter is we they didn't. They didn't stay home, and this is this is the world that we live in. Yeah. So as we continue to kind of to kind of go through this, uh, we start to get into some of the stuff that talks about this. Uh, <laughs> did you? What did you think about this uh, ultra nationalist alternative for Germany party? It, it looks kind of uh, neo Nazi ish just on its face. Uh, <laughs> Some of which, and maybe that's the way they portrayed it in the article. I I didn't go and and actually do a whole lot of research on the uh, on the alternative for Germany party, but it is kind of interesting that they they talk about and not just with uh, this AFG, but also with some of these other countries. Some of this, uh, what they're you know referring to as right wing nationalism is to a certain extent uh, being spurred out of extremely loose uh, immigration policy by these countries that have been just dumping uh, Middle Eastern immigrants into like major population hubs of these countries. And there has been extreme rates of increase in crime and all kinds of other stuff that have come in the wake of that. You know, what's the, what's the extent to which that is the direct result of that? It's hard to say, but there is, you know, uh, there is a lot of correlation between the two things uh, and the timelines with which they have happened. And so like, and this is always a big uh, arguing point for libertarians and, and people who kind of run in our spheres is uh how open or open or do you want open borders to be? And what's the, you know, what is the correct uh, solution for immigration policy and all that kind of stuff. But like what you're seeing, especially in Germany and some of these other places that are now seeing this, these, you know, right wing nationalist uh, pushes is there has been a whole lot of effectively like forced immigration. Like they have said, we are going to take all of these people and just dump them here. And it has had, negative outcome which is pushing a lot of people who probably wouldn't be on 
who probably wouldn't even consider themselves right-wing nationalists into this camp of, we need to do something to stop this. Uh, yeah. What did you think? Sorry, go ahead. That part of it, yeah. Oh, man, there's a, there's a lot to unpack right there. Um, the first part about it, I don't know much about the, the AFG as well. Um, however, I think that it is, you get into this really tricky field when you start talking about Germans should be proud of their soldiers, right? Um, because I know that there's been this, there's, there's always, there's always been that movement to try to separate like the actual Vermont, you know, the actual like quote unquote field troops, just the average German fighting the good war versus what like the SS is doing. And you have all that shadow war. However, we know pretty conclusively at this point that it's like they're pretty intertwined and those German soldiers aren't just out there doing their job or maybe they are just quote unquote doing their job. But, you know, fighting the good fight of the soldiers is rounding up Jews for the SS who then, you know, and they're like and there's I think they try to play this degree of separation. And it's like, well, we didn't liquidate the Jews. We just rounded them up. And then those dudes with the those dudes with the two lightning bolts just came and we couldn't find them anymore. We don't really know what happened to them, you know? And I think that there's that when you start talking about just like, oh, we should be proud of our soldiers. Proud of what? You guys started an aggressive war that ends up killing 60, 70 million people around the globe. It's like, that's really nothing to be proud of. And I understand that you're going to have lots of people that are just sucked up into it. There's a really good book. Um, it's it's called Until the Eyes Shut. And it's translated. Um, it's, it's a grandson who's interviewing his grandfather, who was a machine gunner on the Eastern Front. But he gets sent to the Eastern Front post-Stalingrad. So, um, he's pulled up from his small um, home outside of Austria. I can't remember what town essentially that they're, they're from, but you know he's sent, he's trained up, and he's sent to the Eastern Front right when all of the um, the momentum shifts. And it's just documenting him. Uh, the furthest east he makes it is like halfway in Ukraine, and then it's all the way back until he's captured by Czech um, partisans, and then handed over to the Soviets, and he's shipped way back east into a work camp. But Hearing like that story, I think that highlights kind of your just run of the mill person who got sucked up into things like the world was happening around him. And he's an 18 year old boy who's it's it's your patriotic duty. Um, and I can understand like kind of that grassroots movement. But at the same time, you were still part of an army that is trying to conquer the world exterminate lesser races no matter you you can't separate the two as as hard as no matter how many mental gymnastics you want to do you can't separate them you know they're 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 too intertwined and when you start talking about well we should be proud of our soldiers it starts to get awfully neo-nazi like you said and then just a little bit further down it says another party member decried berlin's holocaust memorial as a monument of shame well yeah no doubt you should be ashamed of yourselves. Like, yeah, shame on you people. It don't look at it. And it, it, it takes that tone of like, oh, this is bad. Like, we shouldn't even have this up. Look, look how bad it makes us. And it's like, no, you you nailed it just for the wrong reasons. It is a monument of shame. Shame on you people for what you did. And who knows? That may have been just like one fringe weirdo who <laughs> who was saying that. And naturally, they're going to link 
uh, latch onto that. But mm-hmm. even so, if you've got that one guy that's that's saying that, like, you gotta you gotta do something to. Uh, yeah, to- there's no. Yeah, that's like that is that's awfully like Holocaust denier or like ho- Holocaust um, apologetic, um, and that's just like I don't know. No matter how, like, that's one of those, like, though I can understand, like, you're talking about immigration. I can understand your average person's reaction to a bunch of people that don't look like them dumped into their community without any say, right? The EU's like, hey, we're going to take in, excuse me, we're going to take in X amount of refugees from the Middle East. They, they disperse, they end up in large cities, right? Even, and I'm going to guess that there's a large population of them in Berlin now. And you and granted, it's like, let's be, once again, let's be honest about it germans have not been the most tolerant people throughout history they really never have been i mean there's there's maybe some times here and there but for the most part germans aren't really cool with other people they don't play well with others i think is the best way that you can put it so when you shove a bunch of people that don't look like them that don't share similar values of course you start to have people reject that and then the problem is that when they reject that idea that I think it's easy to understand, they're pushed into the arms of the AFD. Um, And then it's like, oh, ah, now it's like, it it makes sense, though. It really does. See, I kind of feel like, like, we're, we're, you know, we're talking about with the, like the immigration thing and the way this is kind of playing out and and like the, the, the AFG picking up a lot of steam just in the wake of all of this. This was how I felt throughout the entirety of the Trump presidency is that I didn't support Trump, but I felt like I was being backed into a corner of having to defend him because of the insanity of of the left and the things that they were saying and doing. And I feel like they're like, that's why this movement is picking up steam there in Germany. It's not because people necessarily or particularly are becoming more right-wing nationalistic it's because the actions of the extremely progressive side of things are pushing these people towards the only alternative that they see which is just so happens to be um a relatively sketchy group by all by all accounts from looking at some of the some of the stuff that they they've said mm-hmm. and it's yeah the there's there's been a meme that was circulating a couple of days ago where it's like how centrists become right wingers, and it's the dude who's standing in the middle and he's like, oh yeah, both sides make a really good point, and then the guy on the left pushes him, and then he falls in the right, he falls under the right side, and the right guy's kind of picking him up, and the guy on the left says, hey, why are you mad at me? And it, I really do think there's a there's a huge aspect of that where it, that was one of the craziest things about the Trump presidency is I found myself in like 2018, 2019, especially into 2020, having to defend the man. And I have in in any way, shape, or form ever been a fan of Donald Trump. I was like, oh, great. We get the apprentice buffoon now. And it's like, you know, it's like we went from chocolate Jesus and Obama with the left to now orange Jesus with the right and Trump. And it's like, or all of these guys are just war criminals if we can just start there. But that's beside the point. But having some of these conversations, like Trump derangement syndrome, I think should be in um, whatever the big book of medical uh, diagnostics. What is, what is that with all like the mental illnesses? I can't think of 
um, what the acronym of that book is. But Trump derangement syndrome, I think, could legitimately be put in there because there were so many people that were just screaming orange man bad that it's like, but but that would get irrationally pissed off at people that would get irrationally pissed off at literally every tweet that he sent. it's so funny too. and it's like how and it's like shame on you people for giving any person that much control over your life it's like he's the president of the united states do you know how little impact that he has on on your life you know it's it's pretty minuscule um sometimes it can be large depending you know it's like this do they put us in a war and there's a draft like right there's all there's all these extraordinary circumstances but at the end of the day it's like these trump derangement people i think pushed a lot of otherwise pretty logical and sane people into the more extreme wing of the GOP that really started to to manifest up right because like this whole movement of the GOP is really new right the populist right that we see in like Marjorie Taylor Greens and her Jewish space lasers and um I can't think of uh, where, where are some of the other ones, um, but but you know I think she's like the best um, the best character to use. But when you have a left that is so intent on screaming that you are evil because you are white, um, so intent on saying that you are an absolute racist because you don't support Black Lives Matter, even though that it is far from anything, right? It's like. I'm, I'm believing like no, no lives matter. You're all tax cattle. All right. So get over it. Um, but when you have this huge push from the left and everything is dominated from media to academia, to society, to Hollywood, right? Every aspect is dominated from the left. And it's only natural that people are like, I'm tired of this. Marjorie Taylor Green and space lasers eh, better than Trump or better than Joe Biden, better than AOC. Well, and that's what you're starting to see a lot of. Uh, I can't remember who it was, or uh, I was listening to somebody that was talking about it a week or so ago. How what has kind of been happening in the country that you've seen from election cycle to election cycle is like for for instance, right now you have the left that's doing a bunch of crazy progressive shit that the average person in the middle. Oh, I think it was a. I think it might have been a New York Times article that I was reading. Uh, but anyway, like it said that the average American is moderate to slightly mm-hmm. right leaning. Like the the overwhelming majority of America is moderate to slightly right leaning. And they put about 40 percent of the U.S. voters in what would be considered an independent category. And about you know 30 percent are Democrat. About 30% are Republican, and then you have this big middle section that doesn't really care for either of them. They just want things to not be fucking insane. Mm -hmm. So what ends up happening is, like, for instance, right now, you have rampant inflation. You have everything about the the Biden administration appearing to be a total failure. So a lot of those people are shifting to the right for voting purposes, not because they want to see more right-wing like military advancement and corporate bailouts and yada yada, not because they want to see that, but because what is being done by the left currently isn't working and they don't like it. 
But then what will happen is a bunch of Republicans will get elected and then they'll think that that's a sign that they're doing something right. And so they'll start doing all this crazy shit. And then that big middle voting base is like, well, we don't like that either. So then they'll shift back to the other side. And so that's what you see is this ebb and flow of back and forth of this big middle section that neither side will ever do the right thing. So you just keep kind of having a uh, volleyball going back and forth over the net. Uh, so, so yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of what we're seeing uh, with a lot of this, you know, it's weird. No, I guess it's weird. It's just history. It's it's yeah, it's actually very predictable. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head. I want to say there's only three or four times since the Civil War that a party in um, the party in power retained Congress after the midterms. Um, it was um, I think it was like 1870 something during um, I want to say either Grant, I think it was Grant's administration. You had 1934 or 36. Um, now I can't remember uh, what what years the presidential election and midterms are. But anyways, 34. Yeah, I think 36. it was during. I think it was during Reconstruction was when mm-hmm. when that happened. Yep. Uh, which, yeah, yeah. Which we could go into. We could go into a whole. I could do a whole episode on on Reconstruction and absolutely. And I can shoot from the hip all day on that stuff. Um, <laughs> but then you have. Um, you have yeah, post, yeah in the 30s post uh, yep. post, the, uh essentially you're 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 in the middle of your um new deal right that's kind of and then the other one is 1962 in the middle of right after in the hills of the cuban missile crisis and then it is 2002 right after 911 those are the only four times in american history since the civil war that the party that had power going into the midterms, stayed in power, which shows you exactly what you're talking about. Every two years, everyone's like, I really don't like what they're doing. We're voting the other side. (laughs) And then they come out and it's like, I don't like what they're doing. We're going back to the other side. And it's just this, it's this terrible, lethargic, apathetic pendulum that doesn't really, it doesn't swing radically one way or the other to have like any meaningful change on society. It's just like, eh going slightly right we're going slightly left oh we're going back to the right yeah yeah it's uh well and so i guess kind of to some extent that's what a lot of this article is sort of looking at throughout the entirety of europe and what's going on right now because they have europe has been very globally minded very moving in that more progressive direction and now, as we're, I don't know, how far do you think, how far would you say Europe probably is into this, like, extremely progressive type of movement? It, I mean, it's it's sort of started post, uh, like, after the Cold War ended. But mm-hmm. I don't know that it started right away. Like, it, it was probably... I'd say we're probably about 20 years or so, yeah. if I had to guess. But yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking it. too. Like it, it wasn't, I don't think it was really necessarily going on in the nineties, but, but I think it did start to kind of ramp up, uh, <coughs> in the, in the early two thousands. And you start to see, and I'm just looking through this, um, what's really interesting is the quote about from Putin talking about, it. it's like, it's, ah, why, why are we focusing on the bad things that Stalin did? We should be focusing on the fact that we freed the world 
from from Nazi tyranny. And it's like, ah, you guys changed the lead. It's like you guys put a new face on tyranny. You didn't free anybody. Um, it's, it's, I always think of that, that stupid meme. It's like Poland in 1945. It's like, oh, thank God you freed us. And it's got the, the Soviet flag. And it's like more like under new management. <laughs> it's like, come on. It's like, and, but that, that whole, this is, this is, it's almost like you're starting to see the people and the culture pick up to what's going on in politics because like i was talking about earlier across the across the globe right-wing um parties in in national parliaments and national congresses are gaining momentum now it's not like a huge amount where it's like they have a majority but um i think that i'm not i'm not sure if it's the afd or it's another political party but there's a really good book that just came out it's called how civil war start from barbara walters and she highlights kind of this movement um, of these quote unquote ultra right nationalist movements. And she's talking about, Oh, it was in Sweden, I think Sweden or Norway, one of the two, but this party who went from, you know, essentially having three, four members of parliament now popped up to like 15, 16%. And it was in the, and it was in the wake of those Scandinavian countries being, um, being bombarded, so to speak, with all of the Middle Eastern refugees, which really put, you know, and it's like now all of a sudden this, and those people were fringe. There's no doubt about it. And I think, I think that was Sweden actually. And I I'm think that that positive. party had like, they are kind of neo-Nazi. If I remember correctly, it's like, they are, they're walking that line as close as you can to it. Like pulling out the, the swastika and, you know, saying the Jews will not overcome us. <laughs> they got really as close to that as you can. But the fact that they can, that they are um, gaining momentum, I think really highlights it. I mean, it's going on across the globe. You had, you know, Berlusconi in Italy was kind of like the, he was, he was the canary in the coal mine, I think for a Donald Trump in America, because he was a right wing media person who just kind of took over. He ran on the xenophobia. He ran on all of the Italian fears and, tried to, you know, stoke up the great Mussolini images of Italy and the Roman Empire. And when people were like, oh, my goodness, how could Donald Trump ever get elected? It's like, ah, well, this is exactly how, right? It's like Europe has been dealing with this for four, six years before it came to America. I think it's just because Americans were so were so tone deaf to the rest of the country. We didn't see it coming, but it was coming. Right. That's <laughs> Funny you brought up the. Uh, we were just talking about this, so I do a, a morning show on um, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday with with some buddies of mine, and we have a basically a running joke from from show to show that we're all a bunch of white supremacists, and we do talk about a lot of stuff. We take it from an extremely laid back, just like making fun of it nonstop angle because because that's the way it should be handled. If uh, if I'm being honest, um, it's funny <laughs> that you brought that up. Uh, we'll have to do an art, we'll have to do a uh, an episode on this at some point. How how Sweden became the most alt right country in Europe. <laughs> That's <laughs> it, Richard a, Spencer. Uh, I, I was like, I couldn't think of his name. <laughs> but there is a uh, like a effectively a neo Nazi podcast that comes out of Sweden, and it's. Oh gosh, we reviewed an article on our show a week or so ago that 
it was the most ridiculous shit that you've ever seen talking about how white supremacy is basically taking over the world. Um, and it stems from some like fringe uh, white supremacist podcast out of Sweden that it, nobody, <laughs> nobody that I know has ever heard of before reading this article, but it was, it was funny. Mm. So anyway, back on to uh, <laughs> back to the to the source material that we were working off of. Uh, I thought it was I thought it was funny how so like they they talked about or they hinted at it at the beginning of the article that they were going to talk about India. Um, India has one of the most pure democracies on the planet, and it is an abject failure. Like it is one of the worst run and worst managed governments in existence. And like, it's funny how this gets into how it's becoming more nationalistic and more Hindu run and uh, that they're kind of trying to ignore the time, the very large period of history that India was mostly Muslim controlled and all of this. And like, I I don't, uh, I don't necessarily know that that's a bad thing because the way that India's current democratic process works, it's it's been pretty bad. Like post uh, post English occupancy of India, the the Indian government and its pure democracy has been abysmal. Really, um, do you have any have any uh, thoughts on that? I don't. Not off the top of my head. I don't know a bunch about Indian. Um, domestic politics it's a little outside of my wheelhouse um i do i think that it is important um once i'm like i'm not a huge fan of democracy um because it's you know it 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 has the uh a body of legislators has the same ability to trample on a man's right as a king does. Is that great quote from the uh, the patriot it's one of before mel gibson lost his mind and (laughs) <laughs> started screaming screaming at people drunk about jews um <laughs> but uh that's I, I i do wonder though is is all of these right-wing movements kind of a reaction to this global agenda that has been being pushed and for the last couple of years right like you have and i'm not even saying like new world order conspiracy type stuff i'm just talking about like the very real bureaucracy of the un and the iccp or um and all of these other intergovernmental bodies of governance that are really starting to infringe in people's lives. And I think that it, it's one, it's like, I don't know that it's like the world. It's good that we're, that we all talk and we all trade and it's way better to talk and trade with each other than shoot each other. But at the same time, I don't think that we all have to sit around the, the, the campfire together and sing Kumbaya. I think it's very realistic and reasonable to say, Hey, I don't really like you guys. You guys stay over there. We'll stay over here. If we need something, we can meet in the middle and we can be civil about it. But there's no reason for us to all have to be together because the fact of the matter is sometimes you just don't like people and there's no rhyme or reason. And I think that it's outrageous to try to force the global community to take on this like harmony. Yeah. And I I understand, right? I'm all about the the, the grand scheme of things and the global scope. It's like, yeah, this is, a, this is our only planet. And it's probably best that we don't fuck it up fighting each other about these stupid little things. And it's not cool to be dumping a bunch of trash in the ocean. But at the same time, it's very unrealistic to expect average people 
in your average place during an average time to have this grand sense of humanity and then want to go as DeForest start sacrificing their own lives and well-being to um, to actually achieve it. I think that's a very natural reaction of humanity. It's almost like I look at all of these right-wing movements almost as like um, as a vote of rejection towards globalism. That's kind of what I see it. It's like it's everybody stepping up and saying, we're not down with neo-Nazis, but we don't like you guys either. And at least these neo-Nazis aren't making us do things that we really don't want to do right now. So we're going with the Nazis and everybody's like, oh, how can you do that? And it's like, no, fuck you guys. I'm tired of your shit. Like, stop, stop sending all of these people into our community that don't share our values. And I think that it's good. It's good to mix and mingle because you learn things. But at the same time, when you have these great divides when it comes to culture and ethics and morality and what you hold dear, when you start mixing, forcibly mixing those things together, it's not good. There's not going to be any good that comes from it. See, this is an interesting uh, continuation of something that I talked about this previous Wednesday on an episode of Los Libertinos that Carlos Abelar, who is the the owner of uh, Paloma Verde CBD, he does his show. And and he had invited me and a buddy of mine who I do that morning show with to, to talk about some stuff. And one of the things that we got into was uh, like forced integration and um I, I don't know did you see the thing about dave Chappelle was uh like shot down a uh low-income housing in, in a uh in like a subdivision or something that was like an upper class subdivision um no i didn't but i think that's a reasonable thing yes and like his explanation for it was extremely reasonable he was like we worked hard to get here you don't just get to insert people who didn't work hard to get here into this community like that. That's not going to happen. So like he was part of a group that completely shot that down. So something that we had talked about on, on Carlos's show was like, like the forced integration that you see whenever that happens, it's, it's always negative. It never has positive outcomes. Like the people who get brought in are viewed honestly as a lower class of citizenry. The people who are around that area now are suddenly ready to get the fuck out because they don't want to be around that. It like it just destroys everything. And we also talked about like like uh, early 1900s style of New York City, where you had like Irish neighborhoods, Jewish neighborhoods, black mm-hmm. neighborhoods, and like you had all of these pieces of the city that were effectively separate from each other, but it also made new york what it was as a whole so like if you're going in which is what you're seeing with this modern immigration policy and stuff that is getting severely pushed back against like if you're going in and you're taking all of those communities in uh, you know early 1900s new york and you're just saying okay you all have to be together that's going to be all out war non-stop Mm-hmm. And they wouldn't like it either. Like they, like that, your example is perfect. 1900 New York would have rejected integration of that city as vehemently, even probably more violent, violently than we do or, or are right now. I mean, it's like, could you imagine trying to force these people in, to build off what you're saying? It's like this, the forced integration, it is immoral and wrong to enact force of any kind. Taking somebody, and it's like you said, the okay, so you bring these people into the community, 
the people that are in the community look down on these people as like a lesser class. Maybe that's not a, maybe that's not right, but I think that it's a reasonable reaction just based on humanity. However, the people that have now bought, been brought in are also going to be resentful because they can perceive this this feeling of lower class, and it's creating this hatred of their their rulers, quote unquote. And it's like no good comes from it. I think that like if it's not if it's not free choice, it's wrong. And it doesn't matter whether it be like, do I have to go to a barbecue with my neighbor? Like, is somebody going to force me to go to a barbecue? Or hey, let's force this community of five thousand people that are fleeing into this one. Right? Like, it's it's no good. It's it's like if I don't know. I, I bring stuff back around to basketball because I was a basketball player. Like, if you're the last dude in the gym and this team needs a fifth and you just randomly get picked up because they have to have somebody, like, you can tell that you're not welcome. Like, that's mm-hmm. what, you know, that's like with the people who get forcibly integrated into these communities because a lot of them, especially with like the low income housing situations, they're not choosing to live there. They are going wherever they are being told this is where you're getting a house. So like it's, it's not any better for them than it is for anybody else in that, in that community who doesn't want them there, I guess would be, you know, it's like that sounds like a terrible way to put it, but effectively that's what it is. Like they don't necessarily want to be there any more than any of those people want them there. And like, they can feel that they know that they're, you know, the last one picked for the team because there was literally nobody else. And that's that's not putting them in a good situation. That's that if anything, that's demeaning to those people. And and so that's what you're seeing, like not necessarily from that side of it, but from the other side of it, across the globe is a lot of pushback against that that forced integration and that like forced globalism. Like people move and people travel and people get together and you know, nature happens. But it has to happen naturally if it's if it's being forced and just like uh, being artificially manufactured, then it's creating tensions and and you've got people who shouldn't be together that are forced into this situation that just doesn't work. And that's what a lot of this like this nationalistic pushback. It's I don't know that I would say it's so much a push towards right wing nationalism. So much as it's a rebuttal of extremely aggressive globalism. Mm -hmm. It's a no vote towards the globalist agenda. I think that's the best way that you can put it. And it just so happens that it is the alternative right, these far right wing people that are standing here with arms wide open, ready to embrace anybody who just says no to the globalist agenda. And I think that when you, especially when you get articles from like um, the Washington post, you start, you start hearing all of this um, fluffed up language. And so like, this is towards the end of the article and it says opinion polls show rising apathy and disenchantment and widening fragmentation across the political landscape with factions of the extremes, often generating the most energy, the bland corporatized cosmopolitan, cosmopolitanism brought on by globalization lacks the vitality and authenticity of an earlier more confident era of western politics illiberalism is on the march and with it comes calls to sweep out the prevailing order and make the nation great again it's like 
that's a lot of fluff. And and it's and it's a lot of it's and it's a large academic attempt to try to demonize people who are saying, no, I simply don't want open borders. No, I don't think that this should be happening in my community without my say. And it's it's trying to create this this weird dichotomy. It, it, it's it's a foul. It's a, it's truly a fallacy because somebody who says I don't agree with the global agenda of you know the UN or all of or or my country is not saying I would like to I would like to descend into a right wing dictatorship. Please bring back Hitler. You know it's that is not what they're saying. They're just saying eh, I don't like what you guys are doing and calling people. You know, it's salty, like insulting them and say, well, you're just illiberal with that. Oh, you're, you know, it's like, it, it's, it's this, it does not help bring people back into the reasonable fold. And after reading this article and talking about it, it's one of those, it's like, well, this is what happens when you have governments forcing people to behave in ways they don't want to. All of this is a reaction of, of too much government in your life. If you are free to choose and you have been free to choose for the last 20 years, then I'm going to assume, and I don't know this for a fact because now we're in the alternative world, I'm going to assume that you wouldn't have these massive right-wing pushes if you didn't have the left agenda being crammed down your throat every step of the way that's being dominated by the culture, by your government, by the media, by Hollywood, right? By all of these, every, every day you turn on the news, you're just bombarded by left culture. If you didn't have that so embedded it, from the government and the government's intervention in our lives, then I'm sure that this wouldn't even be a thing. Right. Like you would have thought that the the Trump moment was kind of a like the ultimate middle finger to mm-hmm. the extremely progressive everything and the the failures of uh, left wing policy. Mm-hmm. And instead of learning from it. And and saying okay maybe we need to reevaluate they doubled down and just went even further and I, I, like I, that 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 part of it I don't understand and so what you are going to see I think at least in my opinion is um, because Europe tends to move a lot more slowly in the way they do this kind of stuff like you know like we've talked about with the U S like in the midterms you always see it swing back and forth whereas. Europe has kind of been on this like slow march in that direction left for the last 20 years. And it's finally kind of hit this peak that it's turning and going back in the other direction. Uh, the, the U.S. tends to politically swing a lot more violently and a lot more quickly. Um, and I don't mean violently as in like actual physical violence, but like the, just the the severity of the swings back and forth. Uh, I think it's probably... 2022, 2024, 2026, uh, I think there's a good chance that it's going to swing really, really hard and it's going to be really, really ugly, especially since I'd say probably 85 to 90% of the corporate press is exceptionally left-wing and at least that much of Hollywood and mainstream entertainment are at least that that left-wing. Uh, and the the severe swing that's coming in the other direction as a response to the last two years of insanity is going to be pretty wild. Um, 
I mean, I'm looking forward to observing it from the outside and hopefully it doesn't become too uh, have too much of an impact on my life personally. But yeah, I think it's going to be I think it's going to be pretty interesting. And I think what we're seeing slowly happening through like this article in Europe is going to happen here a lot more aggressively. And uh, like, I don't think it's going to be necessarily this, you know, right wing nationalistic type thing, but it is going to be a lot more of a, a Trump ish type of uh what's the word i'm what shoot i'm drawing a blank anyway it's gonna be a, kind of a trumpish like rejection of progressivism and and the system as a whole mm-hmm. no you're you you nailed it and there's always like the it's the pendulum theory right that american politics have started to swing a little bit more and more every time you know and it really starts to pick up because for the most part, you can't really tell the difference between Democrats and Republicans in American history until you start to really get to Reagan. And it's Reagan that starts to push us a little bit right. And people are like, well, Clinton swings left. And it's like, ah, Clinton is like, ah, I don't even know. Clinton Clinton was like a milk toast Vincent. Yeah, Clinton swung back to the middle. <laughs> he was, yeah, right, exactly. Like, but but in the relative term of Reagan, you have a swing to the left with Clinton. But then, you know, then it swings back with Bush and then an indictment on Bush brings you chocolate Jesus and then chocolate Jesus brings us orange Jesus. And it makes me fearful because it's like, well, then if we had chocolate Jesus and orange Jesus, who's next? Like what 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 God King are you guys going to try to cram down our throats as the next president of the United States? And what is going to happen on the ground because when you call a bunch of people racist hillbillies just because they don't want to vote for Hillary Clinton, this does not bode well. If you want to bring people into the fold, if you want to create national unity, calling them racist hillbillies because they don't want um, a chick that wears terrible pantsuits and is a war criminal and has been part of the problem for the last 30 years. Well, then, you know, it's like that's not how you get people into the folds. You got to you have to win with ideas. And unfortunately, the left and the right are just trying to dominate the culture by cramming down these these political black and whites. It's like Joe Biden. You got to figure out if you're for me or for Trump. If you're not for me, then you ain't black. You know, it's like, cool. I'm glad that the old white man gets to tell, you know. how many millions of black he's like he's gatekeeping race now and that's but then he's also championed as the savior from orange jesus like you guys he does everything that you guys hate (laughs) but yet somehow we can we can ignore it because trump derangement syndrome was so alive and well see i think you hit on something interesting there um one of the things that you're starting to see to some extent across the board and i think it's i think it's starting to happen with the the ones who are aligning themselves in Europe with these like right-wing nationalist groups, but it's it's happening a whole lot more possibly here in the United States is anybody who doesn't agree with the extremely woke progressive narrative is being labeled as a right-wing supreme, you know, right-wing white supremacist. And a lot of them are just kind of hitting the point like, okay, fuck it. I'll be a right. Okay, fine. I'll, I'll be that then. I'm gonna go vote for them. Like if that's I guess what I'm I a am. Nazi now. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, who, who would have knew? I guess I'm a Nazi. <laughs> yeah, and but you're 
like we make light of it, but you are kind of starting to see that like they're not actually becoming Nazis, but they're just like they're resigning themselves to okay, whatever. Like your insults don't mean anything. I'm going to I'm going to go vote for them because not only do they not promote the dumb shit that you do, they're not actively insulting me on a daily basis. So right, they don't bye. scream in my face. They don't they don't harass me while I'm just having I'm trying to have a nice lunch in the middle of a pandemic and you guys are going to walk down and scream at me. It's like, fuck off. I'm just trying to have lunch. I don't give a shit what you're marching about. You know, it's like, I'm here to enjoy my lunch. And yeah, that's it. You have one side that is not actively screaming in your face, calling you a racist hillbilly, calling you a Nazi, calling you an Islamophobist, a transphobist, a hobophobe, right? Whatever the, whatever the newest buzzwords of the day, you know, it's like, you have one side that is actively calling people all of this. And then the other side's like, hey, you don't like them? We don't like them either. You should come over here. And and, it, and it's a problem, though, because it's, it, it starts off so simple. And it's this nice coaxing. It's like, hey, we don't like those. We don't like those people either. And you say, oh, thank God. And then, but you get in there and it's like, oh, you guys are weird. It's like, <laughs> it's like oh, oh. Oh, I, I seem to have stumbled upon a den of Nazis. Mm, excuse me. I think I need to. I think I need to go home. You know, it's like, oh, my wife's calling me. Dinner's dinner was ready an hour ago. <laughs> but come the, to the but, dark side. We have cookies. And, you know, that's we're it. All burning crosses in people's yards. But the don't ignore that. Just you know, focus on the cookies. And so, I, do you do you like cookies and burning crosses? Like what? I mean, do you like cookies? <laughs> And, and and it's one of those it's like i have i have a terrible sense of humor my my dad owns a funeral home so i've grown up with a very macabre sense of just like everything like everything's like funny and the only thing that you can do is laugh in the face of all of the absurdity of it and i know that we're making light of it but it's also the best way to personify like how these things are really manifesting themselves in our in our culture today and this article is is a perfect it's an indictment on the globalist agenda and i don't say that like you know um alex jones out oh, the globalist and the frogs are turning gay I'm not, i don't say it like that it's just that hey there's like there's a real movement in all of these countries to try to integrate the globe in a way that a lot of people just don't want to be integrated you know, there's a reason I live in the community that I live in. It's a little mountain town in the middle of nowhere. And I in my circle of people that I see is very small. And I like it that way because I don't want to hang out with people. And it's as simple as that. Like where I live in a function of my life is is because I don't want to hang out with you guys. You know, it's simple as that. And I love you guys. You're you're wonderful and kind, but I don't want to see you every day. So therefore, I live in a very small place with almost no faces around. And forcing me to have to deal with people that I don't want to deal with isn't going to make me like you. It makes, it, it's, it's only going to exacerbate the fact that I don't want to hang out with you. And at the same time, it's not doing anything for the people that you're being forced to hang out with because they're not getting anything out of it. Like They don't want to hang out with me either, you know? <laughs> and that's right. fine. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's really a... Uh... A pretty apt summary of like they definitely don't come to that conclusion in this article but you know from a couple read-throughs of it like that's that's what i keep coming back to is like y'all are making it out to be these like right-wing nationalistic more white supremacists not neo-neo-nazi types that are the problem 
all of this looks like it's a pretty summarily, uh, you know, it is summarily rejecting the ultra progressive movements that have been going on for the last 10 to 20 years. Mm-hmm. Simple as that. I don't know how you get anything else out of it. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm curious to see um, what other people think. Um, have you gone to the comment section? I just clicked on it. Oh, uh, this, we weren't doing this live. It, this will go out on Wednesday. No, no, I'm talking about like the comments of the oh, Washington Post. Oh, the comments from the Washington Post? I, the, um, that's a, a absolute trash. <laughs> Let's see. Hmm. Yeah, it's all pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> Regret clicking on that little tab now. I mean, there's a couple. I mean, it seems like there's a, okay, there's like a, occasionally the reasonable one. It's like your theory is too single tracked, you know. And he's quoting the article, be like, eh, apologies, reparations, eh, whatever, you know. Um, but I think that's yeah. Ugh, these comments are terrible. <laughs> I told you. <laughs> oh man. Oh, I mean, you got the, the, you got the occasional the, troll that is that's fun to. Uh, to look at but for the most part the comments are just horrible it's the echo chamber that the it's the cesspool that is the washington post reader you know the average readership in their comments about it just like yes queen preach and it's oh fuck off <laughs> and to some extent that's kind of why i do like the washington post like or i don't like the washington post i like reading stuff from the washington post mm-hmm. i really like reading stuff from the atlantic i like this or i like salon like I don't agree with maybe 10% of what they say in any of their articles, but I enjoy seeing that side of the argument, especially like the, the 10% that I will agree with the way they'll twist it into some like progressive agenda is really, it's really kind of crazy. So like I'll, I'll break those down every once in a while and look at an article from one of them because they might hit on some stuff that is really on the nose and good, but -hmm. the way they'll twist it going into it and coming out of it is just like the, the, the level of mental gymnastics that they are, that they are doing uh, is insane. And it's going to be exhausting. (laughs) They've got to have big brains from all that gymnastics and workouts they're doing to jump through those hoops. (laughs) It gives me a headache just trying to keep track of it, you know, reading it. Uh, And they, they, they have to have like, mastermind power brains to, to to get through that stuff and and it's not and not have their head collapse in on itself it's all the big brain juice they drink every morning <laughs> <sighs> well this has been a lot of fun i think uh i think this was an interesting article i highly recommend and it, it'll be in the show notes i highly recommend anybody who's listening to this like go read it and see what you think of it yourself and uh if you have the stomach for it, look at the comments and see see the uh, the cesspool that is the Washington Post comment section. Uh, but you know, definitely look at this and and kind of see if you got what we got out of it because I, I think it's I think just from the way it's written, like for as much as they try throughout the entire thing to paint it as some like you know neo Nazi revival, it looks it looks like it's pretty much the uh, the opposite of that. It's just a rejection of progressivism. I would agree. I think, yeah, it's just, um, it's a no vote on, on progressivism. That's the way that I read it. 
yeah, sure. There's well, then because it's the Venn diagram and you're gonna have a little overlap, right? A no vote to a, a no vote against progressivism. Well, Nazis and neo-Nazis also vote no to that too. And so, but you, they take that very small overlap in the Venn diagram and try to paint everybody as democracy hating um neo-Nazis. It's because for the most part, like your average person who's rejecting this isn't like they they believe in democracy they think that it's good that we elect um kings every four years and um the ruling class every two years right it's like those people buy into that they just don't like um that what happens in europe or what happens over in the philippines or australia or anywhere outside of even their town has any sort of bearings on their lives and i don't think that that's it's not unreasonable at all well, I appreciate you being with me, Matt. You want to give your plugs for everything you get going on? I know we kind of touched on it at the top of the show, but give out any of your uh, where to follow you and work to check out, and we'll call this a, an, an episode. Cool, man. Well, hey, I really appreciate you having me on in such a shotgun type of way. I had a great time, so uh, thanks for uh, thanks for taking the gamble to have me hop on. Hopefully, hopefully your numbers don't drop because because I I bring them down. But uh, my name is Matt Billingsley. I'm one half of Against the Mob podcast. We drop episodes every Wednesday if I actually do my job. Um, you can find us on Spotify, Apple, anywhere else you get your podcast. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at some iteration of Against the Mob. Um, we do, I think, um, we do these funny fake ads. I think they're funny at the start of every episode. Um, so if, the, if there's anything that it's worth listening to us for, it's usually like the first 30 seconds to a minute of all of our episodes. Um, but yeah, that's, a, that's about all I got. All right. Well, thank you for joining me, and I will be back on Monday with another episode that I have no idea what I'll be talking about, but as always, usually I figure something out, and it's not just me rambling and ranting. Hope everybody has a good rest of your week and a good weekend, and I will catch you on Monday. Monday.